Welcome to Cinema Grimoire. Hope you survive the experience. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to episode one of Cinema Grimoire, an exploration of classic goth films. I'm Patrick, and joining me today are my two Grim Cinemaphiles. Uh, this is Jojo. Hey, it's Ash. And welcome to what is officially the first installment of this brand new show on the brand new station for all you can hear. I think this will be a, a nice, fun journey through the world of goth cinema. And we have a doozy, uh, we have a big one for the first in, in official installment, and that is 1994's Interview with a Vampire. It's it's a movie. <laughs> because I, I did want to lean on Ash a little bit today, because obviously, as our chief goth correspondent, I wanted to uh, pick your brain a little bit about what made you want to let this be like a first foray into goth cinema. Like, what about it, this was particular, this, about, this has like the gothic themes and moods and things, sort of like... Your four feelings and history with the movie, and then we'll sort of get into like our general like review of the movie. Okay. Um, as far as why I wanted to start here, one, I love vampires. Two, the show just came out, which I'm really excited about. Still have not had a chance to watch it, but I've heard amazing things, so I'm super stoked about that. And as far as why it's a good fit, it's so extra. <laughs> like, honestly, like having now seen it, it's the most melodramatic romantic ridiculous type of movie and i feel like that's perfect for goth cinema because i can't think of a vampire story where they weren't just like lugubrious and melodramatic and just generally extra in every regard i can think of some but they're all awful (laughs) like if you get like vampires in action or vampires in comedy it immediately goes to shit so (laughs) Now, hold like, on. What about the Underworld Files? Oh, dear God, please. Can <laughs> TM, we? TM, 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 no, no. <laughs> absolutely not. Hey, hey, we've already done an episode on Underworld. Oh, Check that out. God. Yeah, go, go back to our, our, our archives on that one. And we still have five more? Four? Jesus Are there Christ. really that many? There's at least five movies and an anime film. No. Why? No. Those... Man, man, in 2003, Underworld was the shit. Yeah, I know. I was in high school and I could not get away from it. So, yeah. Uh, Kate thing. Beckinsale guns. Okay, I pew, mean, pew, pew, pew. Kate Beckinsale was the appeal. But beyond that, meh. I mean, could Lestat shoot a hole in the floor and drop through it fine? Uh, probably. I mean, by Anne Rice standards, Lestat can do anything. <laughs> the, uh, the perfect OC. I mean, Lestat has drank the blood of christ he's swapped bodies with a human he's gone to hell at least once he's apparently gone to atlantis he's been an actual saint there's other stuff that i'm missing i was about to say because you're not only like you know familiar with the film like you've actually read the Anne rice series on purpose yeah (laughs) yeah i have um in my defense i was between the ages of like 13 and 19-ish, so this was before I developed taste. The books are a ride. The books are worth it. I I mean, based off of what this movie was, (laughs) which apparently is toned down... Significantly. I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ. The book is not small. Like, it is a, a chunk of a book, and most of it is spent describing Spanish moss the air <laughs> and what the houses look like Man. like there's purple prose and then there's that 
And it's amazing when you're like 13. It's like the height of literature. And then you get a little older and you're like, what the hell am I reading? It's like you're definitely being paid by the word here. Oh, God, yeah. yeah there's, there's no reason for this, this much intricacy and uh, nothing. <laughs> but, I mean, that's goth. It works. Anne Rice, I don't know. She... She covers a lot of ground <laughs> somehow. <laughs> None of it is. It's not that it's not good. It's messy. And I think that's part of the appeal for me is just how crazy and how messy it gets. I mean, then we're, we're right there with you because not only are we just a messy show and network <laughs> in general, but we enjoy seeing people getting sloppy and silly with their stuff. So, like, obviously the melodrama and just the drama of it all is very appealing and I will say, like, it was, it was, it felt good to finally watch some movie that was so well known after, like, oh, you always hear about that's one of like, the big movies everybody's seen, everybody talked about. To finally be able to sit down and watch it, it's like, okay, I finally checked this off my list. But I think yeah. th- that's what we'll do over the course of this series. It's like, there's a lot of, like, big, kind of, like, horror and horror adjacent films that will, that we have on the docket for this. And I feel mm-hmm. like, yes, finally we can, uh, I can finally hit those. And I have a, an excuse to watch him now that's fair so since i've seen the movie a million million times and you guys have not what were your first impressions especially like coming into it knowing all the hype and the history and joe do you want to start with this uh i can uh didn't really know much about other than i knew Anne rice vampires and i heard like some of those books go off the rails but (laughs) outside of that i haven't dip my toe too much into the Anne Rice oeuvre but like this I'm still kind of processing the movie honestly this is, it's like, been about a week since we watched it yeah and, and it's just like I, I forget that we watched I was like oh yeah we did watch the movie where Tom Cruise is just an unhinged crazy person which I mean it's just Tom Cruise just Tom Cruise yeah. like I feel like this is just Tom Cruise like all the time Probably, like, yeah. Uh, uh, like, Tom Cruise unmasked. Oh, God. <laughs> Probably not as many frilly shirts, but... Uh, and a lot mm. more fish fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Alleged. Allegedly. Alleged fish fucking, excuse me. Yeah, we, we have to cover our bases here. Allegedly. He allegedly oh. fucked a fish multiple times. times. <laughs> multiple fish, multiple <laughs> times. Habitual fish. I guess, like, as far as, like, like some arbitrary number score, I guess, like, sitting between, like, a... Three out of five. That's like fair. Like there, there's just a, there's a lot of stuff in here. I'm like, that was a direction, but like, we'll I guess we'll get into it. But like, as far as just like directing, all all like the basic like storytelling and like cinematic things. It, it's very competently done. It, it's just like the the some of the writing. I'm like, the, all right, we're here now. Story like, choices. Uh, but we'll get into that as we go along. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just like basic first overview of the of my impressions. Like I like Joe. It's like oh yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff here. There's like a lot that I was like oh I can see the appeal of like why this was so big for so long. But in terms of just like the look, I mean I like how like kind of moody it is. There's a, there's a there's some killer like set designs. I mean like oh, they yeah. really they really hit a lot of spots really well. I mean, of course you know it's almost 30 years old now so like there's definitely like some creaks and cracks in it in certain places but like there's still a lot that's like really solid in terms of like production there's some story choices that are just like uh this was a, a certain direction you chose to go on and 
I'm, I'm sure that, as we'll get into, might be a deterrent for people who, one, just like reading it or seeing it for the first time, especially like with today, <laughs> it's definitely just like, what the fuck? <laughs> but still thought it was like a, a solid movie. It's, a, it's a definitely a, a movie that has a, a certain tempo and it's steady throughout. Fair. That's and there fair. might be a couple like blips, blips in terms of just like kind of, I guess, like action. But like I said, pretty no, not monotone, but like a very has a very steady pace. Yeah, it's very very evenly paced. There's not like very many like highs Even or killed. lows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like yeah, I was like you know that's a three. That's a three. Three's good. Three's fair, given the movie itself. I am biased because <laughs> I saw it young mm-hmm. and have watched it way too many times since then um i'd probably give it like a four yeah like a a generous four it's not (laughs) i love it despite itself let me put it that way it's yeah a mess but i don't know it's my mess i love it also like it's that's kind of the fun too god yeah how messy it is i mean that that's kind of like the conceit of this whole like series is like I would say I've, there's definitely some movies we have plotted. It's like, okay, this this is like pretty, you know, agreed to be. This is a very solid movie. Mm-hmm. And whereas others may just like, this is just like personal favorites for whatever reason. And that's perfectly fine. This may not be like objectively a four-star movie. But like to me, it, it, it's memories and just like the fun I have with it. This is a four-star. And like that's still a valid reason. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, for the record, on that list, Repo the Genetic Opera is the one that I'm going to tell you right now is a four or five for me. It is a flaming hot piece of crap. It is <laughs> the worst movie, and I will not apologize when we get to it, because I love it. And also, you have to suffer through Paris Hilton. Oh, this is the Paris Hilton version? Yeah. Oh, wow. The only thing I will say, which is either a selling point or a deterrent, is that Paris Hilton is a surprisingly good part of the movie. Like I heard, she was a surprisingly good part in House of Wax. I mean, she dies well in House of Wax. That's all she has going for her in House of Wax. Which, like, sidebar, apparently House of Wax is kind of getting, like, a cultural... <laughs> it's so weird to me, but yeah, it's become, like, a big thing, but... Is that the movie about the wax creatures coming to life? Like, the wax statues? Nah, well... N- like, it's in a museum, or am I thinking of a different movie? So, it is a wax museum. Um, it's like an early 2000s. Yeah, like mid-2000s. Yeah. Chad Michael year. Murray's in it. Like Yeah, that that sort of era. Oh, yeah. was, wasn't, like, the, the the main guy from Cousin Skeeter also in it? I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, brain blast. <laughs> That's a combination of words. Who I, I think is playing Paris's boyfriend in that, if I remember correctly. Yeah. and. I remember when that movie came out, I was in college, and they actually marketed it as come watch Paris Hilton die. Like, they leaned into it that heavy because people hated her so much that they were like, you want to see Paris Hilton get mutilated? Come watch our movie. Yeah, like, I remember, like, around that time, there being, like, this big hate boner that we we, we all kind of participated. I mean, mean, granted, we were all, like, young adults or, like, young children, but, like... I don't get, like, why, like, so much hate in, in hindsight. They made themselves pretty insufferable, like, as a marketing tactic. Yeah. So uh, what, she leaned what, into it. What was that show that her and Nicole Richie The did? Simple Life. Oh, God. Yeah. She's had to, I know, 
in recent years talk about how much of that was a persona. Because yeah. that's the oh, thing oh, yeah. is they tried to push it so hard as that's how she really was. And I think that's why people were so eager to hate her is they were like, no, that's really Paris, like unfiltered. Well, yeah. And it wasn't until, like like you said, pretty recently. Like, yeah. we all, like I, and granted, like we were all younger, but like Got I remember it. at the time thinking, oh, yeah, she, she's just a dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. She's not that bad. But at the time it was a thing. And even within Repo, like she's playing almost like a parody of herself. Yeah. Because she's like a socialite. She's an heiress and she's addicted to plastic surgery in this movie. And Mm. that's her whole storyline. But it's really surprisingly well done. You do have to deal with her singing. But (laughs) okay. (laughs) Yeah, there's a musical number. But I mean, it is a genetic opera. Yeah. I mean, the music is kind of all of it is kind of a mixed bag. (laughs) Yeah. It's fun, though. It's a fun movie, but that definitely tops the list of, like, it's a personal favorite. It's not good. I'm not even going to try to lie and say it's good. But uh, we're, we're all here for, like, you know, just weird, slocky, like, bullshit that we... I mean, that's... What the fucking... <laughs> network was built on, baby. I love it. We'll shine a turd, by God. <laughs> uh, but I guess, like, I guess we get a little deeper into the movie itself, um... I guess I feel it's kind of funny to say in case you've never seen Interview with a Vampire, I guess what would you say this is synopsis Ash? What is what is the the bones of the story about? Oh god, you're going to make me do a synopsis. Um it is the world's longest and most dramatic breakup between two really flamboyantly gay vampires and also they have a child, which is a nightmare. Yeah, they they find a, a tiny street child and they make her into a vampire and then that's when some weirdness really fits in (laughs) what do you think about the whole claudia thing because i know that that's where a lot of people have like a sticking point is like and like obviously that would make a lot of sense i will say this was one of the things in some part i knew was in the movie like there's Mm -hmm. there's a small child character and there's some weird romantic things around there but what i didn't know was i thought claudia's character was the one who sired Lestat. Gotcha. I thought he was like obsessed with her because like that's his vampire mom, even though she's like a five year old in the book and a twelve year old in the movie. Ish, yeah. Ish. But it's actually they Lestat forces, you know, this child to be turned into a vampire to keep Louis Louis around. And it's like, oh, we'll just be forever because we have a kid now. Because because that's a great way to salvage <laughs> a relationship is to have a child. You know, because that never falls apart in real life. It'd probably be more comfortable if it's just like, oh, this is a tiny person who has to live eternity as a tiny person, even though they're no longer a tiny person mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a solid crux for, like, drama. Right. But then when, like, they start putting, like, romantic vibes between this child and the grown man, it's like, you know, it mentally she's... 100 years old but physically like I don't care we're not doing anime lolicon shit here <laughs> cause that was that was the thing it kind of, I was like oh wow fucking Anne Rice invented lolicon in like <laughs> the fucking 70s I was like what like like that that definitely took me aback but and, and also anime culture has kind of poisoned my brain when it's like oh, okay we're we're doing this yeah it's a it's a thing it is a big part of the books and not just that book either like the claudia storyline comes up and i think at least two or three others where it's like they bring her back from the dead at one point as the world's angriest ghost and she immediately tries to murder everyone which is fantastic um they find her journals in one book 
And like, it just makes her sadder. Because like the journals really get more into her psyche and that's really where they do go more into just the like, I'm an adult in a child's body type of thing. So it's more sympathetic when you get it from her perspective as opposed to like Louis and Lestat where there's weird creepy sexual tension um <laughs> yeah and i think like 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 pat say it's like a kind of a like a cool like story conceit but like yeah. like i think having it more from her perspective would have made it a lot less weird that's fair that's and, definitely and plus, fair. like if it really just sort of did with like hey there's stuff like this forever because like that's a plot point in a movie i know we'll get to later down the line near dark where there's a a child vampire character who has a very similar uh, sort of story arc, yeah. But always, but not that creepy. Oh, it's still creepy, but not. But it's not between like a child and an adult. Actually, from what I've read, Homer is supposed to be older than what you think he is in that movie too. So uh, he's definitely it. It's it's kind of it's us. It's 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 all weird all around. But <laughs> I mean, I can definitely see how for, how for years everybody's just like, oh wow, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. They're like. <laughs> Just like, mm, just barely, just barely almost touching lips and being very, t- yeah. like, touchy. And, and, like, obviously, I'm sure the the gays back in the day ate this up. And, like, God, yeah. and, it, you know, there's still, like, some, some nice gay stuff in there, like, gay stuff. But it's, like, I know they had to dance around a lot of it because it being the 90s. Yeah. It's, but, like, yeah, they're totally okay with this Claudia shit. You know, we can only let Brad Pitt kind of almost touch Antonio Banderas' lips. What's even weirder to talk about like just how accepted it was there are old interviews and like you can find them on youtube of them talking to kirsten dunce like at that age and they were like what's it like to kiss brad pitt for like that brief scene i'm like this is a 12 year old yeah and 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 it's like kind of like getting into like okay like she's actually 12 years old irl do like doing these rather challenging yeah for lack of a better term. She's amazing scene. in the role. It's yeah. just like, you have to remember that that is in fact a child. And then even within the interviews, like there's this weird dichotomy between like, hey, you're a kid and we're going to treat you like a kid, but also we're going to ask you these weirdly charged adult questions. And they were like weirded out when she had a kid's answer. And she's like, it was weird. Brad's my friend. We got to know each other well. Also his lips are dry. <laughs> and like people were like, basically, and like grown women were like freaking out. Like I would kill to kiss Brad Pitt. I'm like, you're an adult. You can't. Yeah. You, you can't live vicariously through a child. I mean, they can. They, they they try. Look at the Twilight fandom. I mean, that's grown ass women living vicariously yeah. through a teenager. And speaking of Twilight, because that was definitely my high school. That was like the biggest thing, and kind of ruined supernatural (laughs) like just like monster stuff for a while you know not to beat that dead horse but like i I do like sort of how you can tell this is a progenitor to that Mm -hmm. and and there's still some like you you can tell how stephanie meyer basically stole her whole shit her whole shtick from Anne rice but like how like this very much still feels like classic gothic vampire stories Mm -hmm. yeah and like i i I do appreciate because i it's Sort of embracing like old vampire lore, but also like mm-hmm. it is modernizing or modernizing or the time. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, basically vampires just live really long time that they don't really have like, you know, all these like colorful weaknesses other than just like 
sunlight essentially yeah and you i think you do get like a really good sense of just like the weariness that comes from being alive forever like there's a line that antonio banderas's character armand says very few have the stamina to be a vampire because like he's in, in the movie he's like one of the oldest and he's 400 years old yeah the books they definitely have a lot of much older immortals there are a couple that are like a couple thousand years yeah. old and one of the things the book gets a little bit the series on the whole actually gets a little bit weirder in terms of powers and weaknesses and who can die and who can't there's a lot of lore oh i'm sure like yeah. a ton of lore and there's rules and those rules contradict themselves perpetually it's Hell almost, yes. it's so, almost as if she didn't plan this out boy fun fact Anne rice fired her editor about halfway through the series which is why there's so many inconsistencies <laughs> is she decided that no one could handle her work better than her and it showed. this is why lestat loses an eye and then you never know which eye for the remainder of the series does, does it flip-flop so from what i read and i don't know how true this is when they released it initially I think they said one side. When they released it again in trade paperback, they said the other side. She had edited herself without realizing it. And then later down the line, they called it out so much that she was like, she put it in the narrative, but it's weird because it's from Lestat's POV. (laughs) He can't remember which eye he lost. He's basically like, you know, you'll never be able to tell which one it is. They're slightly different colors, and that's the only sign. So, like, you'll get other characters who are, like, staring at him on occasion, and you'll get, like, their point of view, and they're like, I wonder which eye it is, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> wow. Also, that eye went to hell. That is important to note. Like, like that's a major plot point? Like, he's in hell, and he's escaping, and demons rip his eye out, and at first he's like, maybe I imagine this whole experience. Maybe this didn't really happen, and then his, like, eye shows up in the mail, like, from the devil like he's just like hey here's your eye pack and all right he basically just like uses a little bit of blood and like puts it back in and just like just like yeah, yeah like i said the the way vampire bodies work in the books way different so yeah a little bit of blood and he just kind of pops it back into the socket and it does its thing granted this motherfucker could not die in this movie <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was like we we saw his face get melted and turn into raiders of the lost ark goo <laughs> And then all of a sudden, he he, he just shows back at the end. and uh, He's lit just, on fire twice. <laughs> he's lit on fire twice and then comes back and uh, eats Christian Slater. Yeah. And, yeah. And Christian Slater may or may not have become a vampire. Who knows? That's the fun, I guess. But the real question is, does he does Christian Slater look 25 or 45? Both. And how is it times. both at the same time? Because, like, he had to been, cause this he had to been, like, this is like Broken Arrow. Yeah, because Christian like we watched Broken Arrow on Caging Greatness, also on the AYCH podcast network. Go back and check that episode on the, the spinoff of the Caging Greatness show about John Travolta and Broken Arrow being the John Travolta film. But we got a lot of lore around here. <laughs> we have we have a, we have a lot of programming on the AYCH network, as you will soon find out. Uh, but it's just like wow, he's like he's he's a he's a young buck in this one. And it's like, but also he just looks like he's just perpetually middle aged. Yeah, he does. I, I mean, I love how Brad Pitt's like literally hundreds of years old at this yeah. point. Somehow he looks younger than Christian Slater. Honestly, rewatching this movie, it's so weird. Like as I get older, where I'm like, he was Brad Pitt was really fucking young. Like when you look at that movie, I'm like, he had a little baby face. 
Yeah, because this was really before he blew up, right? Or, like, this is one of the movies that made him, like, yeah. the household star. Yeah. And this is definitely, like, one of the first big movies of his career, I would say. It's like, this is just post-Cool World. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> What, the family picture? Oh, it's God. a family picture. I hate it. And him talking to like this like cartoon girl with tits and ass out to here. God, we need to watch Wizards one day. JoJo's been threatening me with that movie for years. <laughs> it's a movie. No, I I'm can't out. say it's good. So I, I think it'd be a good point to talk about, you know, what the whole movie kind of revolves around. We kind of jumped around a little bit. So yeah. this is an interview. But um, another thing that I had a preconceived notion of end up being like wrong about it. I thought the interview was with Lestat, Tom Cruise's character, but it's mm-hmm. not about it's with Brad Pitt's mm-hmm. Louis. So interestingly enough with the series as far as the books go, interview is the only one from Louis's perspective. And then it switches over to Lestat for the remainder of the series. Really? Yeah. So he's the main character in everything but that one. So it's really interesting because even in like the second book, there's a lot of stuff that's revisited. And I don't know if Anne Rice does it deliberately or not. It may be giving her too much credit. But (laughs) um, what you end up with are two really inconsistent, unreliable narrators, but in a really fun way. Yeah. And it feels more like two sides of a breakup in conversation with one another. Because everything that you hear about Lestat, then he turns around and he's like, Louis is a whiny bitch and here's why. (laughs) And literally the whole book is just like, I'm not that much of a monster. He's just really sad all the damn time. And when you get it, even from like other vampires POVs, because she does jump around a bit. Yeah, I think Louis is just a sad boy. (laughs) And like, I don't think Lestat's that. I mean, Lestat's pretty bad, but he's not as bad as the book or the movie would make you out make him out to be like he really seems like a villain at times and he's just kind of an asshole but but he also like or at least how tom cruise plays him he kind of plays him like a disney villain where he does where he's just too charismatic for you to really care that he's like killing people it's like oh oh that's funny he's he's like he's very you know we said earlier like he's very theatrical he's very like bombastic and the brad pitt's character is definitely the more subdued of the two of the two but one thing that leads Louis to become a vampire is actually changed from the book. I didn't know because because in the movies it says the reason why he wants to die because his wife and child had passed away. Mm-hmm. Which why you know why would you want to turn a vampire if you want to die? Because I know in the book it was his brother that sort of kick started his like road to becoming a vampire. The brother's death. Yeah. Yeah. That is accurate. Um, I think in both, in the in the movie, it makes it seem, eh, it's giving it too much credit, but he almost seems a little more willing in the movie than he does in the book. In the book, he's definitely just like, please kill me. Like, just, just fucking murder me already. And it doesn't happen. And Lestat basically has to convince him to do this. And it's not for Louis at that point. It's just to get his plantation. Yeah. He's really just trying to get money. So Lestat's like the best con artist on the planet. <laughs> Like, he's got no money. He's a former aristocrat who does not know how to not be rich. So he just swindles people. Because I will say, like, they're alive, or they're, they're, they sort of, like, get these, like, broad strokes of their life or journey together. It's like, it's probably close to, like, 100 years or something. And they're, just, and they're mm-hmm. mostly always rich. I'm just like, did y'all just, like, say? But you're saying that you're living very extravagantly or just, like, how are you just keeping this level of money other than just killing old rich hags? I think it's a lot of theft and a lot of murder, honestly. 
It's like, oh, all these people that it just always happens to leave their money to us. And, and I imagine, like, because it catches up to present day, like, mm-hmm. 94, I assume, or whenever the books are supposed to take place. It's like, that's around the time, like, you know, money is a lot easier to track, I imagine. Bet that would be harder for vampires later on. Yeah. Yeah, vampires don't know how to use a debit card. <laughs> no. <laughs> They're just like, what the fuck is this chip? so there is actually and i forget which book it is it may be queen of the damned or it may be the vampire armand so daniel the interviewer becomes like a main character within the series and he and armand end up in this weird relationship and antonio banderas's character yeah who is fun fact supposed to be a 16 year old at least in the book he's like 16 or 17 And he's supposed to have, like, this adorable little cherub face, and everyone thinks he's too cute to be a murderer, and he is absolutely vicious in the books. Like, he just kills for shits and giggles. Because I I did do, like, some cursory reading about the series, and that was one of the things, like, man, people just really want to fuck this Everybody wants Armand, and it's really fucking creepy, especially when they're like, you're so young and innocent, let's hook up. And I'm like, that is... That's weird. That is predatory. I mean, understandable when it's Antonio Banderas, but like, yeah. not when like weird it's, it's Russian creepy. child, which, <laughs> which like he's Russian in the book, but like he's Antonio Banderas in the movie. Like, yeah, a big, a big change. <laughs> Listen, things happen. And Antonio Banderas <laughs> has the funniest wig <laughs> in this it, movie. It, it is a bad wig. The wig is terrible. Like, but like, it's the only part about like the sort of the set and production that is like. Bat or like amateurish, yeah, yeah for because sure. Like uh, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, they grew their hair. Like you can tell, like reasonably grew their hair out or have like some light extensions. Yeah, but like Tony Banderas here has like a flop wig <laughs> and like, like party city wig <laughs> and like bad. felt eyebrows or something. <laughs> but, yeah. it, it made him look a lot older than yes. He like it makes him like it, like he looks older in this movie than he does now. And he was, like, mid-30s in this movie? I really thought that man was at least 45 when I was a child. And then when I found out how old he was, I was fucking baffled. Like, I don't get it. But, okay, so the Daniel and Armand thing. It actually, as far as, like, the modernity part of things, like, there's a whole part where, like, Armand just shows up wherever Daniel is. But he's got the dumbest demands. Like, he wakes him up and, like, throws a phone at him. And he's like, I don't know how to use this thing. Call Paris for me. And it turns it, they have the bitchiest fights. And at a certain point, he like throws the phone back and he's like, you call Paris, fuck you. And this is their whole dynamic for like, I think 15 years. Like it's a long chunk of time. Wow. Like 15 years in universe or IRL? Like in universe. Oh, and wow. that's, that's fucking abusive. It's crazy. And then Armand ends up turning him eventually. But it's like the most dramatic thing on the planet and I kind of wish they had done more like with Daniel as a character because he is really interesting. But I guess you don't really need him for the movie. Like as far as how it's framed, like you get that set up and then he kind of. He's he's more like a, a facilitator of the plot. Yeah. 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 And also to be like, you know, kind of like smacked around a little bit. I will say him. Uh, I, it, I know this is broadly a horror movie, but I mm-hmm. feel like there are some moments of like, I guess, shock or like surprise when like. There's some, like, really good jump scares when they do, like, super vampire speed. It's like, oh, fuck. That was... <laughs> that surprised me. 
that was really cool. It's unexpected and I think it works really well just because it is such a slow paced movie that when you do get that random bit of speed it really does fuck you up I like that part I I wish they had done more with that as well too like there are moments where you see how uncanny these characters are but I guess because they mostly keep to themselves and like each other you don't really see how weird they are to humans because there for a while like after they after Claudia and Louis think they dispatched Lissette <laughs> for the first time like making them drink dead people blood filled with, like, I don't know, mercury, and then set it into fucking Chicago on fire or wherever. <laughs> like, they traveled the world for so long, thinking, like, they're the only vampires in the world because, like, they don't run into any others until they meet Armand's vampire theater kids. <laughs> the worst theater kids. I feel like, I mean, vampires are theater kids, but they just are they just stay high school theater kids, but forever. True. That said, the performance in the theater is one of my favorite parts just because it is so creepy and, like, it escalates so quickly. I mean, bear, like, I would say my favorite portions of the film is a lot of, it's during, like, the, the, uh, where they, Venice? Paris? Paris. Paris. During, like, the the vampire troops, because that's some of the most interesting, like, set designs Mm -hmm. and, like, some of, like, the more, like, really uncanny parts because the whole thing with Armand is like he has a theater troupe which you know they oh we're vampires they have like a stage gimmick but they basically kind of doing almost like snuff film play like very theatrical very like lavish and pretty impressive like effects and like mm-hmm. in the universe but also it's it, they kind of use this as a way to kill people and be like oh this is part of our weird underground play they'll it'll mess you up and everybody because when the audience leads are all like they're all like hushed and like oh my goodness yeah that whole scene is amazing and in the book like the paris part goes on a bit longer there's a lot more interaction they get to know the troop a little bit better which is really cool most of them are awful i i I would have (laughs) guessed but you do get to know the theater kids for better or worse (laughs) and then yeah there's still that massive like massacre at the end that kind of causes that severing yeah and armand is still awful like, he's just terrible. There, there was a little catharsis when Louis decides to fuck up um, and, like, burn down the theater troupe. Because, like, what facilitates that is that um, Claudia is just, like, fed up with Louis's, you know, shit or get off the pot mentality. And just, like, I'm going to turn this lady into a vampire so she'll be my weird parental figure and you can just fuck off to wherever. And then they get captured by the theater troops because they find out that Claudia killed the vampire, which is a big no-no in vampire world. No, that means no spray <laughs> bottles. No. And, then, and by spray bottles, I mean uh, make them face the sun and turn into stone. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they lock Claudia and the new vampire lady in a hole and then they just turn them into Pompeii-like figures. Like they're roasted alive. It's, it's as fucked up as Claudia is... Like, that's still a pretty brutal death. It's a gruesome way to go. Like, it's it's pretty hardcore. Especially when you see, like, these two burnt-out husks, like, of what looks like a woman and a child clinging to each other in death as they're just, like, burned alive. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised the movie actually went there because, you know, they built her up as such a important character. And it's like, and hearing you talk about how, like, how she's important to the series goes along, and I imagine death is more relative in this universe. Yeah. But, like, yeah, like, 
like Pat was saying, it is a pretty gnarly way to go out. And plus, Louie was basically drag kicking and screaming and with the intention of being entombed alive. Yep. Like, he doesn't need, you know, food or water or or air, so he's just going to slowly go insane because he can't drink blood. And just, like, like, lock him in this iron coffin and, you know, cast a Montecillo and just, like, build him up <laughs> in the wall. And then, but that's only for, like, 15 minutes, and Antonio Banderas busts him out. Which just proves that he's the worst. Because <laughs> that whole thing is just deliberately waiting until Claudia's out of the picture. Yeah. And then, oh, no, I can't help. Until, Sorry, then, I burned your weird girlfriend, child. It's like, now we can be boyfriends. Yeah, like, the worst, the worst game you could play. And yet, he it's did like, it. It's like, everyone's just... What do you mean you're not into me? <laughs> it's like, it's like fuck you, dude. Because, like, it's like, I'm just going to burn down your whole theater and all your little nerd friends. Watch me, bitch. He just kicks over all these, like, giant bears of oil. And then when they're all night-nighting... Sets them on fire. Just like vampires <laughs> popping out of caskets, just like roasting alive. And he just and he takes the sickle that was used in the stage part of their like performances and starts hacking them up. Pretty sick bits, especially when he fights the mirror man Santiago and cuts the bitch in half. Santiago's the biggest pain in the ass. And honestly I can't stand the character, so every time I watch him die it's a delight. He's just the worst. And plus, just the dude just doing like a mirror, just doing what you're doing in front of you, annoying. Yeah. Like, like he does the thing where he says what you're saying as you're saying it. Uh. <laughs> Ugh. Can we talk about how we're going to have to watch Queen of the Dam now? Yes, and, and I'm excited. Come and get it. No. Which I, I will say, did not know that was a sequel to to this movie until honestly like a few days ago. Because Queen of the Dam is, is a part of the the Anne Rice Vampire Chronicle series, I, re- I remember being in middle school when that came out. And, like, all my, like, gothic, Wiccan, vampire friends went ape shit. Feral over that movie. Oh, God, yeah. So, here's the thing. If you were within a certain age, I was going to say you loved it, but loved is a very strong word. Mm-hmm. You were into it regardless of the quality. <laughs> like... I didn't get to see it when it was in theaters because my town sucked. So I had to get it on DVD. So I didn't get to see it until home release. And I basically told myself while sitting down, I'm like, you're going to fucking love this movie or else. (laughs) Then I got to the end and I'm like, you're going to love it. You can do it. You can do it. That movie is garbage. It's bad. And if you read the book, they may as well have set the book on fire. Like It, it, It is so vastly different. I mean, all adaptations take liberty with their source battle. Of course. But this one is a beast unto itself. To be fair, there are like 20 plus point of views in that book. Like she jumps from character to character and everybody gets like a little chapter. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to translate that book. I don't know why they chose that one. She apparently did not want them to do Queen of the Damned. She wanted them to do the second book because Queen of the Damned is third. Yeah. And they skip the vampire Lestat. And I think a lot of people said it's because it would have been too redundant because there is, like, interview overlap. Yeah. Yeah. But But you're also getting a wildly... Because Lestat's not in the movie all that long, relatively. He's not. Like, more so, like, the first half, but... Especially like once they go to Europe, I mean, that's, that's fuck, all. He fucks off until the very, very end. When he comes back as a like shriveled up man in a <laughs> chair. Yeah. 
he is in more of the book at the beginning like because it's if i remember correctly it's separated into parts like they're they're separate divisions and all of part one i think half of part two like he's he's around for a while before yeah. they get rid of him and I, like he's a more important figure but you're still not getting a lot of him like as a character mm-hmm. and the vampire list that's really interesting like it's a really i was gonna say good and again that <laughs> that word is not it it's <laughs> it's it's a book and I mean, it's, it's an entertaining book it's really it's an interesting book and it's cool to see a character in a completely different light because you get all of his personal history why he's as dysfunctional as he is you, you do kind of feel bad for him he's an asshole but you you do feel bad for you him you can see like I, like why obviously you can't sympathize for what he did but also you can see what what led him to be this way absolutely i also love how when they get to europe and like all the other vampires were like fuck him and fuck that dude he's kind of an asshole <laughs> the thing is though they don't convey it well enough in the movie but they're all full of shit because he's got a history with all of them and most of them are weirdly sexually charged so yeah it's almost like vampires are just constantly i horny i feel like you're just horny for eternity they're horny but Anne rice made Anne rice was very much into the my vampires are horny but they don't fuck it's like we we can't fuck literally there's there are chapters that are just like we don't really need it it's just kind of there god it reminds me of i don't know if you ever read this one but it was the is a book that was co-created by Guillermo del Toro, The Strain. I did, and it's a weird book. It's weird. Yeah. But one of the things is that when the vampires turn into vampire, because there are very, there are very different vampire interpretations <laughs> in The Strain. Um, like literally, they they say part oh, of the transformation yeah. is your, is the dick and balls fall fall off. off. They, they atrophy and fall off. Yeah. It's a whole thing. And, I mean, like it, I like how. I mean, the, the book is weird. I'll, we'll just uh, read, like, read. Like, wasn't it. that like a mini series? Yeah, on it TNT? was a show. It, it was a um, it was a show in FX. The show was fucking dumb. <laughs> it was dumb. There's a point where where the chief vampire man is like doing his weird Machiavellian plot, but then he tells his hacker man slow down the internet, and he does. What? <laughs> it, <laughs> Cinema Grimoire watches. The strain. No, uh, uh-uh. uh. <laughs> no, but like the movie, the movie is the show is dumb. The book is interesting, but it gets weird. But the one thing we'll say, I like how monstrous they are. In, yeah, in, in that iteration. Oh, they're We're, terrifying in that. They're like brutal monsters. But then this is like this is the most like elegant, you know, you no, know, yeah, very uh, uh, appealing version of vampires. You know, they're very well dressed and well you know, well-spoken and, like, very alluring. And, you know, you realize you're just like, man, it's just these fucking assholes. Like, there's ten people, there's ten of us in the world, and we all hate each other. Yeah, pretty much. They, the books are really interesting because you do get a lot of reflection on the interpersonal drama. It gets really gossipy in a way I really like. Oh, I bet they're all hens. Oh, God, yeah. And it's just like, who's sleeping with who? <laughs> who's living where? Why don't they like each other? You know, I, you know what? I think Anne Rice had her finger in the falls with the gay community. Cause that's, it's just a bunch God, of yeah. catty queens that all hate each other. They all fucked each other. And it's like, just like man, the struggle. Accurate. But again, 
they don't fuck. We have to keep mentioning that because <laughs> Anne Rice is very adamant about the fact that they don't fuck. I, ma- I imagine if they, when they go to try to fuck each other, it's just like two light ends of a magnet. It's going whomp, whomp. They just like bounce off each other. She makes a dead uh, point of like referring every time like Lestat thinks about his dick, which is way too often. <laughs> <laughs> Where like they'll talk about it and he's like, you know, that one organ we don't need. And I'm like, please just, just say, say it's penis. your penis. <laughs> I mean, because the bitch, like, does some weird shit with dicks later on. Real weird. There's, I think Anne Rice worked a lot of her kinks out in this series, and all of them are weird. I think she needs to work out her therapy a little bit more, but. (laughs) There's the Vampire Armand. There are chapters that are just, like, flogging scenes. Like, just chunks of that book are just, like, spankings and floggings. Man. I'm just imagining, just remembering Paul Bettany as the albino monk and the Da Vinci. When he's just like whipping himself and like, God. is that? Damn, man, you freaky. <laughs> <laughs> she also, I mean, she wrote actual erotica too. And it's like Sleeping Beauty themed erotica. And what? it's a lot of weird non-con shit that goes on. The, I mean, it's Sleeping Beauty. The, the sleeping part is heavily emphasized there's i think three of them it's like beauty's revenge there's like it's weird but all of them have like beauty in the title and it's yeah man yeah that's wild it's gross but <laughs> Anne rice Anne rice had her things and uh she stuck to those and man she made a career out of being horny on maine well and then she wrote a series about jesus so well, it's not just christians too they're really horny but they can't fuck or won't I mean, she was very Catholic, and it tracks, so yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Sorry, Catholics. To all our Catholic fans out there. <laughs> I mean, completely <laughs> visual bit that no one will be able to see. Jojo <laughs> does the sign of the cross. Listen. In Spesticle, testicles, wallet, and what? A long time AYC8 fans will know, we love visual bits on this network. <laughs> I mean, but this is the introduction for our new listeners on the Extra Channel. Listen, we know this is an audio format, but we love visual bits. God. And there's nothing better than us explaining a visual bit to you. It, it is the most funny thing. I mean, we had a whole episode not too long ago where we had a show and tell where we're just describing what we're showing to each other. <laughs> it's like, you can check out our Instagram. We got cool pictures of it. It's commitment. It's a commitment I mean, to a bit. Listen, we are a multimedia network. So Fair. why so why wouldn't we use the visual component of our franchise <laughs> to, to complement the other? It's a second screen viewing. We're like AMC. <laughs> Fully immersive experience. <laughs> well, I think that was a pretty rousing first episode. <laughs> for Cinema Grimoire. I had a great time talking about it. I had a good time watching the movie. And um, I was like, what do you think, Ash? First official number one episode under your belt. How you feeling, podcaster? I'm feeling good. This was a lot of fun. This was a really great discussion. I'm glad we were able to watch the movie together. I don't know if I want to say I'm sorry or not. But oh, don't be sorry. We never have... be sorry. Congratulations on surviving your first Dan Rice experience. And... Um, Hey, I'm, if, whenever we get the Queen of the Dam, I am hyped. Queen of the Dam is such a different experience that it's like you just you got to pretend this movie doesn't exist and just start fresh. I mean, that's kind of what they do with the movie. That's essentially what yeah. they did, yeah. An entirely different film. <laughs> it's been a great fun. We hope you all enjoyed this very uh, special first episode of this new series. 
And just just a look ahead that we have even more episodes coming out throughout the month. That new up on the new series for the Backlog Boys, which is our video game podcast, Muscle Orchestra, which is a wrestling show, and we have you know even more down the pipe. So just please keep an eye out on all those. But they'll be on your feeds of choice. Be looking out for those, and also you can just look forward to more Cinema Grimoire when that comes down your feed as well. So as we wrap up today, uh, we'll just hit, we'll just hit our plugs as usual. Uh, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Well, tell your friends, share us, let everyone know. It helps us out, keeps us visible, puts us in front of new people. We also appreciate you when you do it. You can follow me, Patrick, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. John lost his name. My name is Jeff. You can follow me on Twitter at jwiby24 and John Nelson 12 on the letterbox. And I'm Ash. You can find me on Twitter at BlurredGirlBlue or Instagram and Facebook at Glam and Ghoulish, where I sell polymer clay jewelry that I hand make. That's cute and it's spooky. We, we will have links in the description of this episode for uh, Ash's jewelry store as well. All right, until next time, uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Be careful and have a good night. <laughs>